You know, today we're going to um, conclude our series about Abraham, and uh, last week would have been the really best time to end the series with the birth of Isaac. What a a great uh, end to the story that would have been. Uh, That's, you know, the way it is often in books and movies, the, you know, the, the, the couple who are at odds the whole movie, and then at the very end, they finally get together, and then, you know, then the movie ends, and everything's great. Or, um, you know, they don't pick up with now after they're together, they got to figure their relationship out and make everything work. The story actually goes on. Uh, uh, and it's like, you know, when there's a, the hero shows up and gets rid of all the villains. And at the end of the movie, you know, the villains are all, you know, vanquished and everything is cared, taken care of. It doesn't just go on for, you know, there'll be more villains and there'll be other things that arise that you have to deal with. So it would have been great to end the story last week with Isaac's birth. But the story goes on and there's, there's more to it than just Isaac being born. Um, <clears throat> the story that we read this morning is, uh, is a difficult story and it made me think uh, about how the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, you know, that he had some problems with some of the stories in the Bible. He did not like the book of James at all. He uh, felt that the book of James had too much emphasis on works uh, to fit in very well with his theology of salvation by faith. And so Martin Luther lobbied to have the book of James removed from the Bible. But um, since the, James was an apostle and Martin Luther was not, it's uh, still there. And then when I was in seminary, um, Jim Wallace, uh, who founder and uh, is of Sojourners Ministry, um, which is a, a ministry that advocates for uh, justice issues, they've done a lot of work on behalf of the poor. But he came to chapel one day and um, he said, "If we aren't going to take seriously what the Bible says about caring for the poor." then we should just be honest and tear those pages out of the Bible and not read them anymore. And he had actually done that. And he had a Bible that he held up, and it was held together by tape. And he had torn out every page in which it said anything about our responsibility to others, especially to the poor. And I will never forget, it was a powerful visual. Uh, He held it up and said, you know, if we're not going to believe it, we should just tear it out and not pretend. And uh, I will never forget that image. Now, I have never purposefully torn a page out of my Bible. I do write in it a lot. But I've never torn anything out of it. But I'm telling you, if I had, if God would give me one veto of any story in the Bible, it would be this one. This is the one I would have removed because it just doesn't make sense to me. Now, I know I've heard... I know how we explain it, and and I've heard that my whole life. But when you take this story seriously, it it really kind of challenges us. And so I want to read this story to you. It's found in Genesis chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 1, after the promised child Isaac has been born. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went up together. Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And they reached the place God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. And he went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The word of God for the people of God. It's a story about a God who tests people and even asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. On January 6, 1990, in a small California town, Christos Valenti took his youngest child, who was a daughter, to a park, and he took her life with a knife. When he was arrested, he told police God told him to do it like the story of Abraham. There is no parent who can hear that story and not get a lump in your throat. Because we know God did not tell him to do that. God did not tell him to harm that child. Because we know the God that we serve would never tell anyone to do such a thing. So what do you do with this story? Now, some have explained it this way, that during the time this was written, they lived in a culture where people did sacrifice children. And so God told Abraham to do this and stopped him at the last minute as a way of demonstrating that, no, this is not what I want you to do, and this is not how I want things to go. So that's one way that people try to understand the story. But it's, it's a dark story any way you look at it. And we've come up with a lot of easy answers that are kind of trite. But, but this morning, let's, let's actually look seriously at the story. Uh, it, it's full of tenderness. It's full of pathos. Isaac must have been between 12 and 14 years old. And he is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So not only is this his son we're talking about, if Isaac is no longer around... God's promise is no longer any good. It all goes together. 
And so if Isaac is no longer there, then God's, there, there, there is no uh, you know, generations for Abraham. All of that goes away. The promise is dead. Abraham and Sarah had waited so long for this child, like we talked about last week. They waited so long, and finally he was born. And they named him Laughter. It's such a joyous occasion. And now, God gives Abraham this command, and both the child and the promise are going to be gone, and it's contradictory to everything we believe about God. And there's not even any pushback from Abraham. There's nowhere where it's recorded where Abraham argued with God and said, no, God, I'm not going to do this, or this just doesn't make any sense. There are other places where Abraham argued with God, but for some reason he doesn't even seem to argue. It's also interesting that when they go up the mountain together, Abraham carries the fire and the knife, the things that, that Isaac could have hurt himself with. Abraham carries those. Isaac carries the wood. A sad picture of Abraham, old and gray, trudging up a mountain with his only child. From the perspective of the gospel, it's easy to see in Isaac how Jesus carried the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill. So they move up the hill in silence. And finally, Isaac says, we have everything except the lamb. Where's the lamb, Papa? And I imagine Abraham swallowed hard and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What a thing to say. I wonder, why did Abraham say that? I mean, was he lying? He just didn't want to tell Isaac the truth? Like we sometimes, we say everything's going to be all right when we really don't think it is. Or was it maybe he was hoping that God would provide? Maybe, maybe he was saying it in hope that God would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Or maybe, maybe it really was a statement of faith. Maybe somehow in spite of everything, Abraham believed God would provide and that God would be faithful and he would take care of them. And to me, this is the key to the whole story. It's not about Abraham's faithfulness. The key to the story is, is God faithful? Will God provide when the stakes are high? And it doesn't look like there's an answer. Can we count on God then? So they reach the top, and we're not told if Isaac struggled or willingly submitted to Abraham. But Abraham tied up his son, he laid him on the wood, and he attempted the unimaginable. And when he raised his knife in the air, it was a voice of an angel who said, Abraham, Abraham. Or at least it sure sounded like an angel to Isaac. (laughs) And Abraham stopped and he said, I'm here. And the angel said, don't lay a hand on that boy. And the knife fell to the ground and Isaac started breathing again. And Abraham looked up and there was a ram with his horns caught in the thick brush. And we're not told if, if the lamb was caught at that very moment or if the lamb had been there and he just now noticed it. But either way, God provided the sacrifice. 
Either way, God provided for Abraham and for Isaac. And Isaac was released, replaced with the ram, and blood flowed on the wood, but it wasn't Isaac's blood. And Isaac was spared, and Abraham was spared, and honestly, God was spared. It's interesting to me that the scripture says that after the sacrifice was offered, Abraham went down the mountain, got with his servants, and they went home. Isaac is not mentioned. So you wonder if maybe when he released him, Isaac just got up and ran away. He didn't stay around for the sacrifice. I mean, who could blame him? Maybe he just went home on his own. You know, the Bible never records another conversation between Abraham and Isaac. I can't imagine there was much to talk about. A lot of uh, Jewish people see uh, Isaac as the father of all Holocaust survivors because he was the first innocent young Jew to escape from being sacrificed. It's a troubling story. A God who tests his followers as if our lives are not hard enough already. Do we really need any extra testing? And like Job, Abraham is given this promise and great blessing only to be faced with losing it all. And we don't know where to put all this together and make it neatly fit into our image of God. Now we've explained it in the past by saying it's, it's a typology about Jesus and the cross that proclaiming God would not let Abraham kill Isaac, but God would not spare his own son. But you know, through the years, and many people have confessed to me in honesty, that a God who kills his own son isn't really comforting to them anyway. Is that really how we understand the story? There are more ways to understand what happened on the cross than just sacrificial if you want to talk about it sometime, you can buy me lunch and I'll be happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> but a lot of people struggle with that. How do we understand all of that? And we're caught somewhere in the middle of this mystery of a God who tests us but also provides for us a God who will not be controlled. And we just can't put God into our little box and figure everything out. God owes us no explanation, and God gives us none. There is a mystery to this God we serve. And the traditional understanding of the story is that it was to test Abraham's faith, to see if Abraham really loved God enough or trusted God enough to be obedient. And in the end, Abraham passed the test, and so Abraham's faithful, and somehow that gives us encouragement. But I've never been able to identify with that story. I mean, if God asked me to sacrifice one of my children, I would say no. No. I'm not interested in that. And I'm not sure I would want to follow a God who would ask such a thing. So I, I get lost in this story. It doesn't make sense. So, so it it seems to be about more to me than Abraham being faithful. And so this is a little different than what we've normally heard, but here's what I take away from the story. It's more mystery than moral. 
Abraham was not the only one tested that day. You see, God made a promise. He told Abraham he would keep that promise no matter what. If Isaac dies, the promise is gone. So for me, this is not about Abraham passing the test. It's about God passing the test. God proved that in the most hopeless situation, God would provide. When the stakes are the highest, God can be trusted. God proved he would keep his promises. And that's what I need to know. I don't really care that Abraham was faithful. But I need to know that God is faithful. I need to know that God will provide. Years ago, I read this story about an African-American pastor. He had a seven-year-old daughter, and it was the decade of the 60s, and the school in their town was being integrated for the first time. And he knew that her first day of school would be frightening. And so he held her hand and he walked with her into the building. Mobs of angry white people lined the sidewalk, shouted all manner of insults and curses. And the little girl was scared. But she bravely held his hand and they walked in the school. Years later, he told that story. He said, I felt like Abraham. And all I did, all I knew to do was pray that God would provide for my child. And somebody said, uh, well, what did you pray? He said, I prayed, dear Lord, let the horns be long and the brush be thick. <laughs> Paul wrote, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, he provides a way out so that you can endure it. We serve a God that we cannot explain. We serve a God whose ways are different than our ways, but we serve a God who is faithful, a God who provides. And when the situation is hopeless and when the stakes are high, God passes the test. God is faithful. And that's what I need to know most. I don't need to know that Abraham was faithful, but I do need to know that God is faithful. I need to go that God provides. And that's what the story says that God is and God does. And that's the part that I hope will stay with us, even though there's so much of the story that's confusing and hard to understand. The bottom line is, God is faithful. Amen.